What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 117 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and for the first time in a while, joining me on the podcast, the great Scott Coleman. What's up, Scott? Last time I was on, your fire alarm was going off for like an hour, <laughs> and then we had to record early uh, because I think of real life things going on, and it was, of course, when I think Braves were down, what, six or seven to the Marlins and came back in the ninth inning, so... Uh, that was that was a fun one. Uh, hopefully, uh, I can't imagine being nine o'clock on a Sunday night. It's going to get that crazy, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, other than a, a trade hitting in the middle of the podcast in uh, in mid June, which is not likely to happen, <laughs> we will not be able to duplicate that. And uh, by the way, I should I think I said this actually after the fact on the next week's podcast, but my my fire alarm went off for like four and a half hours that day. Jesus, <laughs> uh, I left actually because after the podcast, I was like, I got to get out of here. I left and I was like, oh, I'm sure you know, surely it'll be off by now. And I came back and it was still going, and I couldn't believe it. But uh, yeah, props to everyone who listened to that whole podcast. Thank you for your support. And uh, we'll try to do better this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, listen, let's just start with the results as we kind of usually do. The Braves just finished a two and four road trip to California, which seems oddly uh, normal for the way the Braves have gone to California in recent, uh, I guess, years. You know, one and two in San Diego, one and two in Los Angeles. Nothing felt out of the ordinary, honestly. Like all the all the games that they won, they were probably supposed to win, and all the games they lost, they kind of got beat up in. To be honest with you. What, what were your takeaways from this road trip other than it's obviously not ideal to only win four out of six games? No, you touched on it. It's just kind of been the norm for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. It seems like they never play well. I'm a West Coast guy, so I've traveled to San Diego and L.A. to see them play over the years. They never play well. Uh, of course, uh, Diamondbacks are just up the road for me. They never play well at Chase. Uh, they never. I think they won a series at AT and T like a year ago or two years ago, and it was their first series win at AT and T in like eleven years or something crazy. So, I mean, it's not a crutch. Everybody has to play on different coasts, um, but you just hope that once the Dodgers and the Padres and D backs and everyone has to come east to to SunTrust, uh, they're able to get them back. Yeah, as you said, every game other than maybe that Wednesday game in San Diego, which is a little bit of a toss up, and those are generally games they've won this year. They just couldn't get the big hit. Um, all in all, two and four, but thankfully, uh, the Phillies have really hit a tailspin and the Nationals, uh, weren't able to take advantage and lost two out of three at home to the Giants. So still tied. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think, you know, three months ago, if we would have said on, was it June 11th, the Braves would come in today in a virtual tie with the Nats in the East. Uh, we all probably would have laughed. Um, but here we are and, and hopefully they're able to take advantage of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we all would have taken that. There's no question about it. Um, and, you know, off day, off day coming Monday to travel back from Los Angeles before they now have six games in a row at home. We'll talk about schedule here in a second, but wanted to at least touch on the standings briefly here. I know this is sort of a, an evergreen kind of podcast, but as of today, um, tied for the National League East lead with the Nats. The Nats have percentage points on the Braves, but they're basically deadlocked there. And uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, pretty good standing, obviously. And then you look at, you know, you kind of look at the uh, all of the advanced number projecting systems. They don't all update uh, in real time, but 538 does. I tweet this out every once in a while, but 538 currently, as of Sunday night, has the Braves at 46% to make the playoffs and 24% to win the East. Uh, you know, I were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, does 46% seem, you know, about right or too high, too low for you? And what about the 24% to win the division? I think that one is sort of the one that I'm having more trouble with than the actual playoff odds. Hmm. I think I'm almost the other way. I think, I think 46% to make the playoff seems a little high for me. I mean, that's basically a 50-50 chance. You look around, I'm not sure 
uh, you know, let's assume the Nationals win the East. I'm not sure they're, and let's say for this, you know, in this instance, the Cubs win the Central. Are they better than the Brewers? I don't think so. Are they better than the Cardinals? Probably not, as long as their pitching holds up. And then, you know, the NL West, let's say for this sake, I think the Diamondbacks are in first place. So, pencil the D-backs for one spot. Are the Braves better than the Dodgers? I'm not sure, especially when you consider the Dodgers have the money uh, to add at the deadline. Are the better of the Rockies? I don't know. That's probably more of a toss-up. Um, and even the Giants are 500. They've been playing better as of late. So, the 46% seems a little high to me, but... Uh, I guess you could talk me into it. And then the 24% to win the East seems about right. Uh, maybe a little bit higher just because the Nats continue to have injuries. Strasburg just won the DL. Uh, Daniel Murphy and uh, Adam Eaton are just kind of walking injuries. They're just barely getting back now. Um, but, hey, again, three months ago, if you would have said this is what we were looking at, we would have taken it happily. And uh, it's obviously going to be a fun summer being in contention. I tweeted about this early in the week. It's nice to be in, like, mid-June and actually care about the games. Or not <laughs> – not care about them, but when you're when yeah, no, I'm with uh, you. this time last year, I think the Braves were 15 games out of first place. It's hard to get fired up about a ninth inning comeback, and it's like, oh, cool, we're we're 14 games back now instead of 15. It's just it's just not the same. Uh, so it is nice to obviously have games that mean a little bit more as we get into the summer months. People like you and I are gonna watch regardless. And I think we've kind of proven that on this podcast in the last couple of years. Oh but yeah, it is definitely a different um, vibe to. Not again, like like you said, not necessarily about it's not about caring. Um, but you know, once you got into June, July, the last couple of years, I mean, we kind of knew before the season, before the season started even. But once you, once it became very very clear that the season was you know quote unquote over from a standings perspective, the investment level is just different. Like you're watching for like different players, or you're watching for you know to see somebody's debut or whatever's going on, or maybe something crazy is happening. But on a night in night out basis. Like the win loss doesn't really necessarily matter quite as much. Um, so it's just yeah. a different. It's just a different way to follow baseball, and it's a nice, refreshing way to follow baseball. But briefly, what I was saying before about the percentages, I actually think the division odds are a little low, um, only because it's basically going to be a two-way race, in my opinion. I'm not a believer in the Phillies. Um, if you if you buy the Phillies, then it probably is right. Um, I think the Nats should be strongly favored, but I think probably more in a you know, 68-32 kind of split, 66, you know, two-thirds, one-third kind of split for me mm. um, in the division, whereas the playoff odds I feel like are probably maybe a little bit high. Maybe I'd probably go maybe in the 40% range now that, that we're looking at it without getting too deep into this stuff. I know it's too early to talk, you know, crazy amount about this, but you kind of have to believe in them, you know, being better than a couple of the teams in the Brewers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks um, trio. Um to actually project it because I, I think personally the Cubs are going to be a playoff team regardless. I mean, I know they're not winning the central, but it'd be a pretty big, a pretty big surprise if they weren't in the playoffs. And I kind of feel the same way about the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers are beat up right now, which is the reason why they, they may not be that quite on the same level that they usually are, but they've now, you know, come back from the dead and they're in pretty good shape. So I don't know. I think 48, I mean, uh, 46 sounds okay to me. And actually it's worth noting uh, for the first time all season earlier this week, they were up at like 55% on the Braves and that, that felt a little bit high to me. And then of course, hmm. you know, winning, winning two out of six games is going to bring your percentage down no matter who you are, unless you're, you know, an absolute lock to make the playoffs. So anyway, that's just sort of an overview of where we are now. We get into some uh, normal podcast material, talking about players, injuries, and et cetera, et cetera. But there we are as of, you know, June 10th, June, June 11th here as the Braves hit into an interesting stretch. Oh, we should at least on the schedule because uh, we talked about it before, before we started recording, but now, you know, six games at home here starting Tuesday in a row, uh, a pretty favorable stretch for the rest of June. 
Yeah, you look at, I mean, the Mets are an absolute mess. They, they're something like 16 and 34 since they started 11 and 1. Uh, I think they have the fewest wins since like the third week of the season started. Uh, so the Mets are, are obviously not good. You get two, and then you get four against the Padres. And yes, the Padres did take two out of three this week, but then you, you know, you hope that San Diego traveling across the country and the Braves being at home. It's a four-game series, and you would like to win at least three of those. I guess a split wouldn't be the end of the world because the Padres have been playing pretty well the last couple weeks. But uh, three and four, three out of four would be nice. Now, what they go to Toronto? Is that right? Yeah, it's um, you know, they have these the six games at home, then they go to two, to Toronto for two games very quickly. Um, with two day, they have an off day, two day, a two game road trip off day back home. So like yeah. the two game stretch over four days, then they come home for Baltimore, Cincinnati for six games. And that's a very favorable six game stretch uh, yeah, I think, near the end of June. I think those are the two worst teams. Oh, the White Sox might be up there, but I think those are, if not the two worst teams, two of the three worst in baseball right now. They're very bad, both of them. <laughs> we can say that yeah. with confidence. Uh, the schedule does firm up after that. They have to go on the road to St. Louis, then on the road to the Yankees, then on the road to the Brewers, which is a brutal 10 game stretch. Yeah, um, but that's basically it. Like that, that ten game stretch is the only, you know, on paper like massive challenge between now and the All Star break. The rest of the schedule is very favorable. So, I think we're going to learn a lot. That's a pretty obvious cop out kind of answer over the next month. It's basically about a month now. You know, we're it's June tenth as we record this. June eleventh is tomorrow, and then in the last game before the break is uh, July fifteenth. So you got about thirty five days here or so, uh, and we're going to learn a lot about this team. I'd say. I think so, and there is there's some positive signs. You get Mike Soroka back. Uh, as I guess we kind of dive into the news thing, and I'll segue, segue us into Acuna coming back soon. But you get Mike Soroka back on Wednesday. Uh, you get Ronald Acuna supposed to be uh, starting a rehab assignment sometime soon. It sounds like he might return against the Padres. So get those guys back. Hopefully a few others settle in. Uh, it's at least being as close to full strength as you're going to get to hopefully take advantage of those of those weaker teams. Yeah, I mean, and this is baseball. It's not like you're. It's not like you know football or basketball where you could just pencil in wins. Like obviously, the Braves have proven that they can go into San Diego and lose two, lose two out of three. For instance, uh, they could certainly uh, lose some of these series against bad teams. But at the same time, like you know, every little bit counts, and you're playing against bad teams at home, and you got to take advantage of those spots because you know I, I, I can't. I don't anticipate like an eight and two road trip when they have to go to the Brewers and the Yankees and stuff. Like they're going to have to, you know. I guess the objective there is just to tread water on that trip and then take take care of business elsewhere. Um, but yeah, plenty of time to get into the rest of the schedule. Uh, you mentioned and sort of teased the uh, the new stuff. A couple of injury updates to hit on here. Let's just start with Acuna and the offense um, first. Acuna, um, we we don't know a ton right now on Sun, as, as of Sunday night, but we're probably going to get more on Monday. Brian Sticker basically said you know there was going to be sort of a more formal update when they got back to Atlanta on Monday, but uh, could have a, him returning, I guess, some point in the next couple of days. Um, the originally, uh, I believe the original timetable was like the earliest it could possibly be was this last weekend that obviously he did not play in, but Acuna seems to be getting close. He's now doing workouts and looks to be at least nearing his return. Um, you know, comments on that on your on your end, and, and then of course, so we can get the big picture because the lineup continues to kind of shift a couple of different times and a couple of different places and for a couple of different reasons. So where are you at on Acuna? Let's talk about a couple other guys in the, in the lineup here. Yeah, I believe if memory serves, today's the two weeks since he what I think most people figured was blew his knee out in Boston. I yeah, mean, that was the uh, we did a podcast not knowing um, the result, and that was, so yeah, that was exactly two weeks ago. I'll never forget. I was in Hawaii actually, and I was kind of following from afar. I think I was hanging out at the pool, and and uh, 
I opened up Twitter or something like that, and all of a sudden everybody's losing their minds about Acuna, and I thought, oh, no, and sh- sure enough, that video is about as bad as it can be. So the fact that we're even talking about him playing again, is, is at least this year, is kind of a miracle. Um, yeah, with him, and it kind of segues us into the lineup thing, um, we've seen, obviously, when Acuna's in the lineup, it's such a deeper lineup, even with Charlie Culberson playing pretty well the last couple weeks, and of course the walk-off heroics. You just need Acuna in, in the lineup. It, it gives so much more length to it. I'm not sure you want to bank on Culberson continuing to hit pretty well as he has the last few weeks. Um, and again, I think Culberson's best suited is, is kind of a utility role, uh, especially with Johan Camargo not able to play that as kind of the everyday third baseman. Um, so obviously good things. You, I hope uh, the Braves seem to really take their time with him. I know he was trying to get in the lineup the next day. Uh, and obviously they, they said, no, we're going to play it safe, put him on the DL. And I hope um, I hope he is fully recovered and he's not just pushing it back because anytime you're dealing with a knee, anyone knows who's dealt with a knee, once you do it once, you can do it again much easier. Um, so fingers crossed, and hopefully they give him plenty of time to, to get right in the minors before bringing him back up. Yeah, there's no rush at all with Acuna. I mean, I, I understand the team's competing, and they're better off with him in the lineup than out of the lineup, but... Uh, that's a uh, that's a prized asset you just can't afford to fool around with and you know there was a I guess I guess there was some uh, notion that he wanted to kind of keep playing <laughs> after he yeah. got hurt originally it's like no you know Ronald you're gonna have to chill out for a couple weeks here and I'm sure he could I'm sure if the uh, if the world was, if the world was on the line today he could be playing um, but at the same time mm-hmm. there's no reason for that to happen um, they should be a hundred percent sure that he's a hundred percent so uh, a couple of a uh, couple of factors there to be sure um Got a lot of questions about this, and I think we should talk about the lineup when Acuna comes back. But before we do that, let's just touch on a couple of guys. Uh, just sort of as background, because Ozzy Albies is really struggling. Um, did, have, did hit a home run uh, earlier today. Dansby Swanson sort of come alive recently as well. And then you have Ender Enciarte, who continues to kind of flail offensively. So, you know, obviously we can get deeper into those guys. We want to do that. But what is your lineup looking like in your mind? Because I think we can kind of agree. We have to agree that Enciarte at the top lineup is not a good idea. But Albies at the same point is really struggling and is not necessarily put, putting together a season that looks like a prototypical leadoff guy, like which is where he's been recently. So a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, it's, you know, I think if, and I have faith in Ozzy, and I think you do too, that he is going to get out of this funk, right? I mean, Oh, absolutely. My, my only thing with Albies, and this is this is true before he started struggling, was that even when he was, you know, lights out early on in the season, it was certainly fair to point out that he was he, his profile right now is not a typical leadoff hitter. I know he's very, very small and very, very fast, but he's basically been better with power. He's not taking a lot of walks. Like his OBP has not been high all season long. Like, you know, his if you ignore the fact that he's whatever he is, five five, five five six, whatever he is, if you ignore that that and the speed, you would not say uh, you, you would not look at fan graphs and say that guy's a leadoff hitter, uh, and that's where he's been. And I totally understand that. Um, and frankly, I would still prefer that to, to Enciarte right now, just because Albies is just a better hitter overall. So getting him more more plate appearances is a good thing. But uh, you know, breaking news: this team does not have a perfect leadoff hitter. Um, no. And uh, that's kind of where we are now. I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily just you know belabor that point, but it is important to note that like. I do think there are better ways, but there isn't really a perfect lineup right now. Like I've often argued that Marquez should be hitting leadoff. He's more of a yeah. leadoff guy than other than other players on his team, but there isn't that perfect guy either. No, there's not. I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday, actually. And you look up and down, and I think Ozzy does make the most sense to be the leadoff guy. And even then, you know, leadoff is such a silly thing, as I think we both agree. You know, you only lead off the game once, and after that, it's the guy who's going to get the most at bats. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with, with Dansby. He's been seemingly hitting pretty well, um, out of the number two spot. 
um, and, and hitting well in general. Obviously, that's where Acuna was before the injury. Um, in my head, you you put Acuna back too and have Dansby at six or seven, kind of the lengthen things out a little bit. Um, and, and I'm with you. Marquecas makes sense at the leadoff spot, but that's one of those kind of in theory it it's, makes it's sense. Never gonna, it's never going to happen. Right. We, we know but that. But even, even when they were you know 30 games below 500 a couple years ago, he never even sniffed at the top spot. He might have hit second a couple times, but – I mean, there, how does that conversation go, right? Especially the way he's hitting right now and protecting Freddie. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine when Acuna comes back, he's second. Ozzy continues to lead off. The home run was a good sign. He also uh, uh, was robbed of a couple of hits over the last week, just balls that generally are hits that the defender just made a nice play on. So I have confidence in him. Um, and then I think on Ender, I know that Snit didn't like it, but you have to put him eighth or ninth. I mean, at this point, he doesn't even look like he's – I mean, he's not driving the ball. He almost looks like he's just kind of a rotating torso and is just weakly grounding over on everything because he just – I mean, he's in some kind of a funk. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll leave Ender for a second. Uh, quickly on Marcakis, the only reason why it's even like a theoretical – is that you know his power's kind of cooled off. He's still been really good for the entire season, obviously, but he's his power's back to like where he was in Baltimore, even a little bit actually a little bit lower than that in terms of ISO and stuff. Like he's getting on base at a great clip. He's leading the team, if not well, if not for Freddie Freeman, he'd be leading the team and and on, on base percentage. He's just more of a prototypical guy in that way. But that's not happening. I understand that. So uh, it's just more of a theoretical. I, I'm with you that I think the most likely outcome is going to be Albies and maybe Acuna in the in the two spot. Uh, if Swanson's been better there, I think the numbers, uh, the numbers of Swanson everywhere except for the eight hole are jarring. Like it's actually kind of hilarious. I think uh, shouts to the guys at 755 Battery Avenue for pointing that out. And I read that, and uh, you know, it's it's probably a little bit of coincidental, just a little bit. But I do think Swanson is like it is night and day when he's not hitting in front of the pitcher. So whatever you have to do to get him to not do that <laughs> right now, because he's just been so much better everywhere else. And even if that's not necessarily sustainable. Uh, don't put him eighth. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, Enciarte, I mean, I've, I've said, we said a lot about Enciarte. I, I kind of want to lean into this a little bit. The last time we did a lot on Enciarte, you and I on a podcast, he suddenly got hot for about two weeks after that. And it was kind of hilarious. Oh. And I uh, got put, got kind of put back on our faces, which I, I'd be fine with if that happens again here. Um, with that said, Enciarte has been terrible, uh, really for the entire season, especially lately. Uh, you know, you mentioned he, you know, the, the rotating torso thing. There's just no pop there at all. He's rolling over ground balls. Uh, his play discipline's never been good. Frankly, um, but you can live with his play discipline when he's having you know a 300 plus batting average because you know with his speed uh, that allows you to at least post reasonable OBPs. You know the last you know since he's been on the Braves before this the last two seasons he's got about a 350 on base percentage, which isn't anything you know great, but that came with a 300 batting average because he's not going to just walk a ton. Like he walks a reasonable amount, about seven and a half percent for the season. But with no power at all, like he's the worst hitter in the lineup. I mean, unless, I mean, yeah. I guess at least when Acuna comes back, he's the worst hitter in the lineup. I, I, I think there's really not even any wiggle room there, frankly. Like I understand, um, you know, when Culberson's around. Although Culberson's obviously been very good lately, which is kind of funny. Um, in a vacuum, Enciarte is a better hitter than Culberson. But at full strength with Acuna and everybody else in the lineup. I just don't think you can make an argument. I guess maybe Camargo, maybe third base is worse. Like it's the only way you could talk me into Enciarte not being the worst hitter in the lineup as if as if the third baseman is. And uh, even then, I think I'd be more comfortable with Camargo at the plate right now. Uh, and that says something because I'm not a huge believer in Camargo still. Um, so 
I kind of says a lot about Ender, and like you know, it's always important to point out that Ender does a lot of things well. Like he he really plays great defense. I think he's leading the league in a couple of defensive categories in the outfield right now. Like he's still been very very good in that aspect. He's running wild on the base pass. You know, eighteen stolen bases. I get all that. Like he adds a lot of value elsewhere. But if he's going to have a seventy WRC plus and a sub three hundred on base percentage, like that's it gets ugly in a hurry. I understand he's still been a productive player. If you go by WAR, but. I don't know. I mean, I guess the better question is, do you think he could snap out of this? And what, what does that actually mean? Is like, is, is, is his normal baseline of a 98 WRC plus, whatever it is, a pretty good, reasonable hitter, something you expect the rest of the way? Or do you think this is sort of not, I don't think he's this bad, but where do you think he can actually be, you know, right now for the rest of the way? Yeah, I would take what he did his first couple of years in Atlanta. You Everybody mentioned would. The <laughs> yeah, happily. I mean, that would be huge, especially with the lineup being better this year compared to previous ones. Yeah, right now, whether he's eight or ninth, you just kind of have to hide him. I mean, he he's not this bad of a hitter. He didn't suddenly forget how to hit overnight. I'm sure it's mostly. I mean, it's honestly, it's probably mental at this point. And uh, you see him, and and he's just missing. There was an event today on Sunday where. I think he came up with a, a runners on first and second and two outs and uh, Ross Stripling just fired a couple of fastballs right down Broadway, you know, 92 miles an hour, straight as narrow, right down the plate. And he's fouling them off. He's not lining anything anywhere. Um, and then he uh, down one, two uh, popped an outside change up and just kind of popped it to left and the inning was over. That's kind of where he's been the last three or four weeks. It seems like he's just, he's missing stuff over the plate and then he's, having to protect and just kind of dink and dunk stuff all over the place. Um, I'm hopeful. I mean, I like Ender. I I know we always talk about Ender, and um, for better or worse, we always discuss him as not a leadoff hitter, and and I agree. Um, We're not – no one's actively rooting against the guy, but right now, um, as you mentioned, his defense, it makes it tough to take him out of the lineup just because of his defense – but at the same time, I mean, he's he's not driving anything. It's not one of those situations where, kind of like Dansby even early last year, where he was hitting the heck out of the ball, but it was just going right towards guys. And it's okay, well, you know, trust the process, keep going. Eventually they'll find holes. That's not the case. That's not how it's been this year. And, and you hope that he's able to, uh, especially once Acuna comes back, then I feel like he really can kind of be hidden uh, in the seventh, eighth, ninth spot. Uh, he can kind of get going and get right because he's not this bad of a hitter. No, he's not. And I mean, we should point out, it's kind of hilarious. His um, his heart rate rate's actually, quote-unquote, up the way that they measure it on fan graphs, which I can't believe is true. Uh, but his line drive rate is way down, frankly. I think it's like 4% down. It's basically a career low level since he was in the minors. Um, and his, uh, his fly ball percentage is actually up. And that's basically, for him, is not a good thing because he's never going to be a great power hitter. So, like, you want him to hit line drives, not fly balls. And, um, yeah, use, use your speed and all that fun stuff. I mean, I don't think he's going to end the season with a BAPIP as low as he currently is right now, for instance. Like, his BAPIP right now is 268. I can't imagine that's a real number. Even if he's not hitting the ball hard, um, you know, he's going to – break out of it a little bit i don't think he's a true 73 wrc plus player uh even if you take his his worst season in atlanta so far it was his first year it was a 97 wrc 97 wrc plus uh you know basically that's that's because of the lack of power but i think everybody could certainly you know i'd, I'd love him to have a 330 340 on base percentage right now for the rest of the season that wouldn't be great but that would be a player that you're not uh considering a liability if you're if you're, look, you're looking at 299 which is where he is now uh, it gets tough. He's got to hit eighth, and uh, I didn't hate him hitting ninth, but clearly Snicker did not enjoy that. No, um, he didn't know how to double switch with it. 
<laughs> yeah, among other things, uh, I think that was clearly an instance, and nobody said this out loud, but it definitely felt like that was a um, a front office, like, all right, Brian, just try this for a while, and if you hate it, we'll, we'll let you stop, and he did oh, it for totally a week, was. and he stopped. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, by the way, I don't necessarily advocate uh, hard for that. I'm not a huge fan of the pitcher hitting eighth concept. I just didn't hate it. Um, but I just, it, it does kind of speak to the fact that I, I prefer Enciarte down there to where he has been. Like when he was hitting, even like in the last week or two, he was hitting sixth. And like, no, don't don't do that. Like he needs to yeah. hit seventh or eighth. Uh, I mean, maybe if there's a perfect scenario on a day when Ryan Flaherty and Charlie Culberson are both in the lineup, maybe you hit him sixth. But aside from that, like he can't be hitting sixth in any, any normal lineup. He needs to be hitting eighth. Um, and by the way, that kind of goes for even if he's good. Like even if he was the guy who he was the last two years, I think in this lineup at full strength with Ronald Acuna, he's still he, he's still your eighth hitter, honestly. Yeah. Well, you talk about the lineup too. We you need him to get on base because if he's eighth or ninth or seventh or whatever, you want him to be on base because then you talk. You, if lineup flips over and you get Albies and Acuna and Freeman and Marquez, he's. I mean, that's why the lineup was so good early on. It's because the seven, eight, nine guys kept getting on base, and then the guys at the top would drive them in. That hasn't happened as much recently, nearly as much as, as it was early on. I think that's why we've seen the lineup and the offensive production come down a bit. Yeah, and by the way, it was always going to drop. I think we we got, we both kind of knew that. Like they were operating as like the best offense in the league early on yeah. in the season. That was never going to stay. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about third base because Austin Riley got hurt. This week, and that's sort of, of course, been the uh, the always always the fun discussion spot. Aside from a couple of uh, other guys on the team, uh, is third base, and you know Camargo has been okay this year in a lot of ways. You know his his batting average is really ugly; it's two hundred nine, but he's walking a ton, fifteen and a half percent walk rate, which is fantastic. Basically, walking almost as much as he, as he strikes out. If he does that, that's just fine. Um, but with Riley now hurt, and that you have to think that that does not necessarily do wonders for his uh, ability to keep rising in the system. He has a sprained PCL, going to be out for at least for a couple weeks at the minimum. Uh, there also was a report from, I'm not sure it was even a report, it was, it was on Twitter from Mark Bowman, um, a public reply that we could kind of see uh, speaking into the fact that he's not expecting um, the Braves to spend before the trade deadline, uh, I guess citing um, some of the uh, let's say limited, I guess the quote was limited financial flexibility from Liberty Media, which I'm sure angers everyone and justifiably huh. so because attendance is way up and they, they seem to be making a lot more money than they were before, but yet they don't want to add to this team that's now a legitimate playoff contender. But, you know, I, I guess we've all, we, we talk about third base a lot, but is that a spot that's even more worrisome now for you with that information out there? Like, I think people were waiting on Riley like he was going to be some sort of savior in August, September. If that doesn't happen and they don't spend money, you're looking at a, a playoff contending team with Johan Camargo, Ryan Flaherty, and Charlie Culberson. Yeah, the right. Well, you know, Austin Riley. It's never good to see a guy have a knee issue. Thankfully, he's been pretty healthy throughout his time in the minors, so it's not someone you worry about and just kind of hold your breath that he's not going to be able to stay healthy. Um, anytime it is a knee, you worry a little bit. Uh, but he had been scuffling a little bit too, and I'm, I'm guessing he tried to play through it. And then the Braves finally said, "No, let's let's give you some time off." Again, with his age being 21, 21, 20, whatever he is, um, he's still way young for the competition at AAA. Um, it really is not the worst thing. And I know some kind of thought he would be the savior at third. He very well could be. He'd come up and hit right away. But um, I think there's some natural adjustment that's going to come to his game, especially with his swing and miss tendencies. Um, and it's just tough. I mean, not everybody's going to be an Ozzy Albies or a Ronald Acuna, or even a Dansby Swanson for that matter, in his first year where you come up and you find immediate success. Um, I'm not sure the difference between him and Camargo, who 
Uh, Camargo has been pretty good. He's almost the exact opposite of the player he was this time a year ago. Uh, this time a year ago, Camargo was kind of a uh, lucky, you know, Babbitt was through the roof and uh, it kind of sprang singles and doubles all over the place. And now uh, he's barely he's barely hitting anything besides extra base hits. It seems to be either a double or a homer every time he puts it in play. He's walking, uh, striking out a fair amount. So. Um, it is always a concern when you see someone go down, but Camargo hasn't been terrible. His defense is also pretty solid. He has an absolute cannon. He showed that off on Sunday. Uh, he knocked the ball down and, and was able to just, I mean, if there's ever a Braves game that gets to like the 16th inning and they need somebody to pitch, I would, I would vote for Camargo just to see that arm. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, they have a bunch of, I mean, with him and Freeman, um, it's, yeah. it's not quite the same as having Anderton Simmons, who has the legendary arm, but Camargo's arm is pretty absurd, honestly. Yeah, it's a rocket. Yeah. Um, and then to touch, and I'm sure we'll talk more, you know, the point of Bowman mentioning. Let's who talk about that now. Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's never good. I mean, you read that and you're like, ah, oh, great. It's infuriating uh-huh. is what it is. Let's be let's be yeah. real about this. It, that it's. I mean, I know that's one of the things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with this like faceless owner, and it's been a problem the whole time. And by the way, I'm a realist, so I treat it as if it's like some sort of salary cap because you just kind of have to. But when you actually think about it, it yeah. is bothersome that you have a, especially on a team that is now legitimately contending. Right. And we know they have money. It's not like there's no scenario in which. With attendance, you know, skyrocketed from where it was even last year in year one of the ballpark, and they have all this battery money and all that stuff. Like to hear that kind of comment, it's not Bowman's fault. To hear that though, as a reality, well, nobody's asking to spend twenty million dollars extra this year, but like you right. couldn't go out and get somebody to help you. Like it, it just weirds yeah. me. Like if you know, if if it ever would come out that Liberty Media nixed a deal that would send. Uh, Max Freed to the Royals for uh, Mike Moustakas. Forget the player return. That's not what I'm trying to get out here. But if it would come out that the Braves wouldn't be able to absorb the remaining, you know, two... I was say it's like $4 million. (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, even, I think at the All-Star break, it'll be $4 million. Even by the, you know, by the trade deadline, you're probably looking at three. I mean, if, if you're telling me that Liberty can't pick up $3 million for... A team if they're in first place now who knows where they'll be this time in, in a month and a half maybe they'll fall off maybe they won't but it, you know if it ever would come out that yeah they had a deal in place for a couple of of you know middle tier prospects to get Mike Moustakis for a team that's in first place and they shot it down because they didn't have you know they only had a million dollars in the budget not 2.5 that's when you know I think things can start really getting nasty in a hurry yeah I mean again I I don't want to make too much of one tweet from Mark, who is, by the way, the most plugged in guy. So, like, there's a reason I'm citing this. I wouldn't do that for anybody. But Bowman knows things. I think he's has his uh, finger on the pulse. So, like, I don't know. It, it's frustrating. I'm sure, you know, fans will be even more upset than I would ever be about this because I, I just understand the reality of the situation. I'm sort of geared for it. Whereas, like, a, you know, a pure fan is going to be even more bothered. And, yeah, God forbid that report comes out that they actually could have pulled off a move for whoever. And it, yeah. gets, and it gets shot down because of money. Especially because, you know, I get that all the planning financially was for 2019. I totally understand that. But, you know, it's different if you're asking, if you're looking for this, like, you know, if it's, if it's a, an eight-figure salary that they're trying to take back and they say no because, like, it's going to sure. cost them $10 million. Sure. Like, I, I understand that. It's still a little bit bothersome, but it's not. It's not nearly the issue that it will be if it's. You know, Mustakas is a perfect example. I mean, that's obviously not reported or anything, but it's been out there that the Braves could be interested in him, and he makes perfect sense for them as a as an expiring, relatively cheap contract. 
um, at the position that they certainly could add. I mean, if they're going to add somebody, it's going to probably be a third baseman or a reliever. I can't imagine it's anything else. I mean, maybe a starter if the young guys kind of don't show it, but because yeah, of how it'd have to be a long-term starter. And yeah. that at that point, I think you do it more in the off season than middle of the year. Agree. That's, that's, and that's the thing, like with the way that Fulton and Newcomb have performed, I don't see the Avenue to go short-term starter. So like it's basically has to be third base or reliever. And those guys just don't cost. I mean, you know, barring some sort of miraculous Manny Machado, uh, which he actually doesn't make that much money. I guess it's not crazy amount. Um, him or Donaldson or somebody that's a top ticket kind of guy at third base. Like those guys don't make that much money. So if you can't spend the three, four million dollars extra, it's not going to go over well. No, that's for sure. No. Both on this podcast too, and elsewhere. <laughs> right, right, yeah, and and also at the same time, you have to evaluate if, let's say, at the deadline, if the Braves are six. I don't know, six games behind the Nationals in the East and they're five games out for the second wild card spot. Who knows? Maybe they'll be six games up and it's a different conversation. Sure. But if they're if they're six games back of both playoff spots and they're kind of treading water a little bit, let's say a couple injuries happen, you know, is Mike Moustakis the difference between making the playoffs and not? No, probably not. In that sense, I get it. I, I could see why sure. Liberty might not want to shell out three or four million for two months of a guy. Um, but at the same time, if you're in it and you're much closer, if you're in a playoff spot at the moment or uh, ahead by a significant amount, then I think is when you're really going to see the pressure. Um, and in theory, too, who knows? Maybe the team being better over the summer will continue to have attendance up. I think they're top 10 or 12 right now in announced attendance, which is certainly helpful uh, to bring in money. Um, uh, you know, it's always kind of a cop out to say, well, let's see where they're at in a month and a half. But I would sure hope that in a month and a half, if they're in a playoff spot or if they're on pace to make the playoffs, $3 million isn't going to be a, you know, a determining factor. Um, but if, if they've fallen off a little bit, then I, I do understand why if they might not elect to do it. Yeah, I think it's going to be very, very, very fluid. And uh, we'll actually keep, obviously keep an eye on all of that moving forward. All right, let's uh, talk about the rotation a little bit. You know, Julio Tehran uh, coming back soon, it looks like, after a DL stint. Well, he's currently on the DL, uh, hoping for a bullpen session this week. Mike Soroka now slated to start on Wednesday. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the rotation. we got a lot of questions about the rotation. Uh, at this point, basically only two guys are guaranteed spots. You know, fully what I would say stamped guarantee. That's Fulte and Newcomb. Then you have, you know, McCarthy's not been Excellent. Anil Sanchez has actually had some moments recently, but you also have Colby Allard. You have Luis, you have Luis Gohara, who's been uh, you know used interestingly recently. So, I mean, I don't really have even a question. It's kind of like, all right, Scott, what do you think this is going to happen here? Because there's so much uncertainty. I know some of it's going to be uh, injury-related and how guys like Tehran and Soroka respond uh, post-DL, but where are you at with this whole thing right now? Yeah, I hope for Julio's sake that this kind of week off will help him regain at least a little bit of his velocity. I mean, I don't know how many folks saw the San Diego start on Monday because it started at 10 o'clock in Atlanta. But, I mean, he was he was giving it everything he had, and he was hitting like 87 on his fastball. It was, it was hard to watch, honestly. It was mid-80s. I think he they, they even announced he kind of huffed up to try and get a ball up in the, a fastball past, I think it was Eric Hosmer up in the zone, and it was like 88 miles an hour, and he looked like he just gave every ounce of strength he had. So you hope that now that he's had a little bit of time, he can regain at least a little bit of his velocity. Not, not that you have to throw 98 in order to be successful in the bigs, but with his secondary stuff, he has to at least be hitting 90 or so uh, with the fastball. Um, yeah, you hit on it. I mean, Fulte and, and uh, Newcomb have both been really, really good. Um, I think Mike Soroka, honestly, is probably the third best option. You hope that his shoulder behaves um, I'll never really 
know how I feel if that was more of just the Braves trying to limit his innings or if he was legitimately hurt. I mean, at first when it came out, it seemed like it was some DL uh, disabled list manipulation, and then he missed a month, so maybe it wasn't. Um, but with Soroka, and then I think, honestly, I think the rest of the year, as long as they're healthy, the mix of Tehran, Gohara, McCarthy, and, and Anibal Sanchez um, are just going to kind of be the rotating fourth and fifth starters. Um, those aren't super sexy options at the back of your rotation, but you can do worse. Um, and you just hope, you know, McCarthy has had good games. He's had bad games. Anibal has been good from an ERA perspective. His underlying numbers hurt a little bit. Uh, I think his FIP is it's closer to five, whereas his ERA is below three. Um, and they do hope with Gahara, they've kind of jacked him around. Of course, he missed time early. Then he was starting and not starting well in the, in the minors. And then uh, he's made a start or two in the bigs and hasn't done super well. And, and of course, the whole thing with his mother going on in Brazil. So, He's had, a, he's had a rough year. I hope they kind of settle in on something for him. Uh, but I would imagine the rest of the year, assuming that those top three are good to go, the, the last, I guess, four, if you will, will just kind of rotate spots depending on who's healthy and who's throwing well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I think ideally the guys I'd be, more, I'd be most comfortable with are obviously, you know, Fulte and Newcomb. I, I agree with you. Soroka is probably on that list, um, if not number three. Uh, if healthy, and I'm skeptical, honestly, that he was necessarily as hurt as it might have seemed, frankly. I think they might just be keeping it very, very uh, careful with Soroka and also limiting his endings a little bit because that's what happens with uh, Alex Anthopoulos in his history. So we'll keep an eye on that, obviously. But I don't know. Gahara, the way they're treating Gahara is frustrating me. Um, I think it was the same way with Max Fried, and it was this, it'll be the same way with basically any starter, anybody that I think can actually start um, that they treat this way with the sort of up again, down again, bullpen again kind of setup is going to frustrate me. I understand these circumstances were different with Gahar and that he had to leave, and I, I totally get all that. I, I'd like to see him starting um, at some point in the near future, somewhere. Like I'd almost prefer him starting Lynette to the current role that he's in in Atlanta. Like I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, but it uh, doesn't really do him much good to be a sort of weird hybrid long man mop-up guy. Like I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a weird situation. Like, I don't want him in that role. I want him starting somewhere. Um, whether it be in Atlanta or elsewhere. I mean, maybe they're going to look to move McCarthy or Sanchez, even if they're in the race, if those guys can hold some value. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I don't know. I, you know, for me, it's it's like I can't get excited about anybody outside of, you know, Fulte Newcomb and maybe Soroka right now. I mean, maybe, maybe this little break will be great for Julio and he'll look to be like a solid number four starter. That's kind of yeah. all I can rationally expect from him because, as you as we talked about before, like he looked awful recently. He's looked awful four or five times this year, like like non major league quality awful. Like that's how bad yeah. it's been a couple of times. And then and then he'll have three starts in a row where he's good. And it's like, all right, uh, cool, maybe he can survive. But I don't know, man. Um, it's kind of a mess. That's kind of the way that I would look at it. I think if the Braves were you know dead serious about trying to compete this year. They'd probably give Colby Allard a chance sooner rather than later. Maybe not. Maybe not right away. But I think at some point you look at a playoff rotation. If you're thinking about that, and I think they almost have to at least consider it. I don't think Julio mm-hmm. Tehran is going to be a playoff rotation kind of pitcher this year. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong about that. I know that Brandon McCarthy won't be, and I even though I kind of like him and always kind of have, he's not been great this year. And I, same way with Anibal Sanchez, I can't imagine throwing him out there in a playoff game and being super comfortable with it. So I think yeah. it's time for the upside a little bit. And that means, you know, Allard and Gohara at some point should be getting opportunities. But they know more about Gohara, especially in his mental state and all that stuff, where he kind of is 
Right now, yeah. we don't know a ton about that, and they obviously do. So, I, again, I'd rather, I'd rather have him starting, but I, I will certainly admit to the fact that I'm not, uh, I don't have all the information there. Yeah, and I know some people have pointed out, obviously, with his, uh, I guess, uh, his figure and being able to not monitor slim. him a little bit, uh, a little bit better when he's in the big leagues, and probably could keep him on a little bit of a stricter diet. And now that they're, you know, shadowing him twenty four seven, but you probably can control that a little bit better. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I might be the lowest person, at least on the blog and of, of casual fans and even diehard fans for that matter on Colby. Uh, I'm not really buying Colby Allard as somebody who's going to come up right away and be, uh, somebody who's going to really help the team this year. I'm kind of with uh, you, by the way. I, yeah. just think, I just think, I just think there's, there's at least some upside there. I, my thing is, uh, I'm not saying you have to, you have to do it, but I do think, I think he's more likely to help you in the playoffs than mm. Brandon McCarthy is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think either is super likely to help you in the playoffs, honestly. Um, and I don't, I'm kind of with you that Allard isn't quite as, I, I, I don't think we've, I don't think anybody's necessarily saying that he's like a, a lock to be good right away, but I'm a little yeah. lower on him being good right now than the consensus. And I think you're probably even lower than I am, but I kind of I lean on your side of this one. Yeah, and I guess what I see is people saying, "Oh, bring up Allard. Why aren't you bringing up Allard?" You know, he has the two twenty two ERA and AAA, and he has been good. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying the guy's not a prospect by any means, but oh, no. you look at his numbers. He's I mean, for AAA again, uh, he's made let's see, he's made eleven starts, uh, thrown about seventy innings. Uh, his K per nine is less than six. Uh, his strikeout to walk ratio is about two to one, um, maybe a little bit better than two to one. I mean. You look across the board, and and there's just and then you think about how many non-strikeout lefties have come up early in their careers and been successful as starting pitchers. There's just not a whole bunch. Um, I do think he can be a you know a number four in the big leagues down the road, uh, maybe even a three some years. But I'm just not sure that if you know again there's a sentiment of hey call him up call him up he's going to be such a big boost and he's going to slot right in uh, with with Fulte and Newcomb at the top. I just I could be wrong, but I just don't see him with his profile too, being someone who comes up right away and, and immediately becomes one of the better starters on the team. Yeah, I don't. I would not project that. I do think there's something to be said for trying it as an upside play, um, only yeah. be, but only because of lack of other you know wholly inspiring options. Like I understand all the depth the Braves have in the system and Allard and you know Gahara. I think Gahara even more so than Allard has the upside. I will be the first to say that like, in oh, terms totally. of this season. I think Gohara is a lot more likely to be a very good starting pitcher than Colby Allard is. Yeah, they need to send Luis down to AAA and let him. Yeah. yeah, let him make three or four. I mean, you don't need a starter right now. You have once Julio comes back, and assuming Soroka's all right, you have six starting pitchers who, yeah, like you said, you don't want to start him in the World Series, but. Those guys are our, fine for now. I mean, Brandon McCarthy, for right. all of his faults, is not like going to get you killed on a nightly basis. Like he's not a good. He's not good. He's not been great. I totally get that, but like he's not embarrassing. He's not a non-major league pitcher. Yeah, he's and not. Sanchez has been like sneaky okay. Like I don't. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at McCarthy's numbers now. I know he has a he has a 4.63 FIP, 3.7 x FIP. Like that's not that's not good, but it's not like you know, who is the worst starter during the uh, during this uh, weird rebuild scenario? Uh, Williams Perez. You know what? He's not. He's not right. Williams Perez. Right. I mean, he's not a. Or, you know, Bartolo Colon at the beginning of last year, right? I mean, and I mean, Sanchez, like, Sanchez has a 2.37 ERA with a 4.81 FIP. Like, that's not going to go well pretty soon. 
Right. You know the wheels are going to fall off, but for the time being, keep throwing them out sure. there until the yeah, wheels I mean, fall off. Pitch yeah. him until he's bad. I mean, same, same with McCarthy. I know McCarthy's already been bad a couple times, and he's been worse than I thought. I thought, I honestly, I thought he'd be somewhere in the high threes, low fours ERA kind of range if he was healthy. That was my whole concern with him was always health. And that's always yeah. been a concern. Like when he's, when he's been healthy, he's always been pretty decent. This, is, this would be his worst season of his career if it continues, healthy-wise. Yeah. Healthy but, you know, he's older. It's, it is kind of what it is. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, back to my original point and something you just said, like I think Gohara needs to be starting. And he's the one guy, you know, other than Soroka. I think Soroka is a guy who I'm pretty comfortable with based on what we've seen already. If he's healthy and good to go, like he should be in rotation for sure. So him and the other two, obviously, young, young uh, high-end guys are locks. And then figure out the other two spots with Julio if he's alive, sure. And then, you know, Gahara, Allard. I mean, you have, you have all these options. You don't have to make decisions right now. I just think you need to have Gahara ready to go because in yeah. the current role, like, it'd be different if he was, like, pitching high leverage, but he's not. Like, no. It makes no he's sense hurt. for him to yeah. be in the bullpen if he's going to be the long man. That makes no sense. Yeah, I'm with you. I, they need to they need to have him start. I mean, I know you know we all make fun of Lucas Sims and Matt Whistler because they're they're pretty terrible at the big league level. But I think part of that too is just the way the Braves use them. You know, they bring them up as these long guys, and then all of a sudden they're pitching in the seventh inning of a one run game against the Red Sox. And it's like, wait, well, yes, you're you're setting them up to fail when you bring in Lucas Sims to protect a one run lead at Fenway Park. You know, well, yeah, what part you, of that is, I mean, the, the right. usage. Uh, bullpen usage has been. A, we, got, we got a couple of questions about bullpen usage and Peter Moylan and and Sam Freeman and like I, you know, I don't. We could probably do an hour on bullpen usage, but yes, I mean it's. Yeah, you have you have guys who are bad that you sh- that should be used in situations where you where you use your worst reliever instead is not always good at right. that. But you know, in Snit's defense, I suppose or whatever, however, however you want to frame it, Gohara shouldn't be down there for me unless he's going to be used in a high leverage situation. And right now he definitely won't be because you have, you have mentor Winkler and this you know, those are your high leverage guys. Like it's yeah. not, and even, doesn't need to be there. <laughs> and even Shane Carl, Sam Freeman and Peter Moylan, if those are your four, five, six, and they are, that's, and that's, that's, that's not terrible. Order. Even in Jesse Biddle too. I mean, sure. those, the seven there, I know everyone it's when you're watching the games on a day to day basis, the bullpen always seems a little bit worse than I think it really is. I mean, they're kind of middle of the pack. Uh, numbers-wise in the National League, and they've been better since that first like two weeks where like Jose Ramirez was just getting pounded. Um, you know, it's it's not an elite bullpen group, but again, at the same time, this wasn't a team coming into the year that had World Series aspirations, and they have to worry about how they're going to manage. Uh, you know, through through twelve playoff games here, I think it is what it is, and and I hope that, and I think we're in agreement here that. Uh, I, I hate how they jacked around Max Freed last year, I, and even this year too, to an extent. And I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with Kahara. Just let Matt Whistler be the long guy. If Julio Tehran leaves after three innings with a thumb problem, let Whistler go out there and throw 60 pitches until his arm, you know, until he can't anymore. Let Lucas Sims do it. Don't jack around with, you know, as you said, Gohara in theory probably has the third or fourth highest upside in the organization right now. I mean, his uh, Gohara's ceiling is. I mean, even a few months ago, you could find somebody that would tell you that they'd rather have Gohara than like basically any of the young guys. Like you, there are people, there are people that were saying that they thought Gohara would be better than Fulton David and Newcomb this year. That, yeah. that existed. Yeah. I was one of them. So I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah. It's, and and you, I'm not even saying you were wrong. Like I just think like that. That's the kind of talent you have. It's just, this is not a situation where I under, I understood it more. Even last year when I was frustrated with especially with Free, who I thought was a better prospect than Whistler and Sims. Like 
I understood it more with Freed than I ever do with Gohara because Gohara's ceiling is so much higher than Max Freed's ever was, in my opinion. So like, mm. I just don't, I don't see the rationale, especially when Gohara is still so young. Like he's not like 24. Like yeah. he's not getting in the situation where it's like, oh, well, got maybe he'll have to be a bullpen guy now. Like, no, that's not what Gohara is. Like he's, what is, is he 21? Yeah, I think he's 21. Like, why is he? Why is he in the bullpen? I, I don't get it. Yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah. I know we're doing this for a long time and probably too long, but it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. Yeah, I'm with you, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it there because we've done too much on that. But I don't know, man. Uh, I feel like this is sort of a throwback podcast for us, and that it wasn't super positive in a lot of ways. But uh, we should. Let's just end on something on a high note. Um, we talked about it a little bit before. But it's it's uh you know it's June tenth and I have June tenth and the Braves are in the race, and that's fun. Uh, we have some good content on the site. We should at least be pumping out. I will have something coming Tuesday. You wrote what Friday Saturday. By the way, thank you for all your recap duties this mm-hmm. last week. Because uh, other than me, I think I think basically no one is ever up till one in the morning on our uh, uh, on our uh, team. Um, so <laughs> it was basically uh, you or I, and because you actually uh, can do it in sort of real time. I am thankful because uh, I would probably yeah. be the, the backup option for you. So I appreciate you doing all this. You got it, man. Yeah, no, West Coast games are always weird. I mean, I always see people here on the East Coast. They don't start till 10 o'clock. Yeah, that sucks. It's for me, great for the first like four, like, four, like four or five innings for me. And it's like, all yeah. right. I mean, I, I can, I'm conditioned to stay up late. Like there, uh, just as a sidebar, there are two or three nights a week where I'm uh, on shift as a writer for a different website. And I have to be up till midnight. So like I'm pretty conditioned. But if you get a if you get a four hour baseball game that starts at ten o'clock, and it ha- it does happen, <laughs> yeah, oh <laughs> it's yeah, it's not a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's late. But it, you know, for me, then living on the West Coast, it's kind of weird. I mean, I guess it does help that now they start the the Braves start their home games at seven thirty five, which is four thirty five here. You know, kind of my in real life job, I'm out by five, so then I'll watch it on delay or you know the DVR or whatever. But it is a nice. I know everyone kind of hates it. I like it on the West Coast. I was able to watch a game from seven to ten last night on a on a Saturday, compared to you know when whenever the, the Sunday afternoon, yeah. right? And the Sunday afternoon games start out here at ten or ten thirty. So uh, it's nice. And yeah, it's always uh, every now and then I'll get a. Uh, not an exclusive on the book, but I'm the only one up and some big news will break. I think the Acuna promotion broke at like 11 Eastern or something like that. So uh, maybe at night, so I was like the only one up at the time. And I, I always personally enjoy, this is a lot of, you know, this is just us talking now pretty much, but I always enjoy when something hits at like 7.30 a.m. Eastern and we just wait for you to respond when you wake up. That's always fun oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Especially oh, like when Dustin Peterson came up and uh, you were asleep, I think. <laughs> it was like, yeah. oh, Dustin Peterson. Oh, somebody, somebody wake up, Scott. I almost called you on the phone because I had your number. <laughs> I literally almost called you and I was like, nah, it's probably too much. Whenever, uh, what was it, like four or five years ago when the Frank Wren uh, front office was basically extending anybody who needed a contract extended, I mean, yeah. I think all of those deals happened at like, yeah. they announced them at like <laughs> 7 or 8 a.m. Eastern. And back then I was, I think I was in college, so... You know, I'm getting up at 10 o'clock out here, so one Eastern. So it was a good six or seven hours of everything kind of happening before I could get to it. So that was always uh, that always made for a fun reaction waking up. And it, uh, I think the uh, the move to Cobb County too also happened. That was, was you know, uh, I was about to say that that was actually my personal favorite story. That was before I was with Talking Chop. I was running a site called ATL all day, and it hit like I think it was. I think the Mar- actually hilariously, the Marietta Daily Journal broke that story before anybody national or local. They had it first, huh. and it was like seven thirty in the morning. But I, yeah. I sat down at my desk at my day job at like seven forty-five, and I had the second post up, 
and it's yeah. all day of anybody. And like, but yeah, the world was burning by like 8.30 a.m. And those, it's always, I, I like that kind of stuff because I'm usually a pretty uh, active riser. But yeah, I always, I, I do always think of you when Brave's News hits uh, <laughs> in the morning because it's like, all right, we can all, we'll all react and then I'll just wait for Scott to tweet something. Right, when six he, hours later. Whenever he wakes up. Yeah, so, I do like sports on the West Coast. I don't know how you East Coasters do it. Like with the finals starting at nine fifteen, I think that's nuts. I, I can't imagine it's that. It's your fault. I mean, it's people. It's people. If, if nobody lived in the in the, in the uh, Pacific time zone, they wouldn't show games nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I blame you exclusively. It's always it is always fun. Um, every year there are two events that make everybody really mad about what time they start. It's the NBA finals and it's the NCAA championship game. Yeah. Every yeah. year there's this same outrage about the nine. Anything after nine p.m. start like just infuriates people beyond measure. And it's yeah. like, well, think about this for two seconds and realize that if they tip a game off at 7.30, they're basically removing half the country. Yeah. <laughs> from oh, absolutely. Yeah, because what, 9.21 is when the yeah, if, NCAA but, but championship? If, yeah. if, you, if you tip the NCAA championship game at 7.30, nobody in California is home from work. It's Monday. You can't like yeah. you can't tip a yeah. game off at 7.30. It doesn't work that way. So yeah. anyway, I, I mean, I guess you could if it was like a football game that you knew was going to be three and a half hours long. But, you know, NCAA basketball game could be done in like an hour 55. Like that game could be yeah. over by the time people, people were home from work. Um, yeah, especially if it's Villanova, over Michigan. Oh. And it was over in a hurry. <laughs> okay, it was <laughs> over. Uh, it was over by like 1030 and it started at 920. So maybe Arizona will get there one day. No oh, problem. one day. And we'll, uh, you and I will probably save this for, uh, maybe we'll save this for a <laughs> podcast soon, but we'll have to talk about the draft after that happens because uh, you have yeah. some players involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it Shots sounds like. Aiden, uh, I'll have a reason to watch Phoenix Suns games. There's not a whole lot of reasons to watch Phoenix Suns games. Oh, yeah, games. you get the double there. That'd be good. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll watch him. Um, and I'm, like, kind of a very background Sacramento Kings kind of follower. So You can jump the bandwagon uh, now. You can just jump on the Suns. Which, since yeah. you have the crossover guy, you can just, just, just get rid of the Kings once and for all because that, that can't be, it can't be healthy to be a Kings fan. I know a few of them. No. It's not great. So. No, I liked him in like the 90s with Bibby and all them. I know I've talked about this, but yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get into the NBA. Like I do because the season is like 10 months long and then you have the draft and like the summer camp and then the season's going again, there right? Are, I mean, yeah, it's legitimately about an 11-month sport now. The only time uh, – this is as someone who covers the, the NBA exclusively uh, – not, not exclusively but extensively. Uh, the, only, the only break from NBA coverage is August. Yeah. That's the only month where there isn't anything. And last year, there actually was a massive trade in August. So, like, there actually wasn't even – like, last year was a legitimate 12-month sport. There's, you know, usually, though, it's 11. And then they have it kind of perfectly set up to the fact that it's just madness. Like, the season ended, la- you know, this last week, and the draft is less than two weeks from now. So, like, it's yeah. just – And even so August, you have, you have baseball going. You have training camp for football. You have college football right around the corner. Uh, you know, preseason, everything else. NFL, yeah. every, I mean – Everything is kind of there's still stuff going on. It's not like you know July when there's godly nothing on except for baseball for like a baseball month, which is fun. and uh, shouts to the NBA summer league, which I will be attending. <laughs> sure. In fact, I actually made a note to tell my, to tell people on this podcast uh, there is one week, uh, one Sunday that there will not be a podcast uh, this summer for sure, and it's going to be the week of July the eighth because I am in Vegas for summer league and I have no way to record a podcast, at least a coherent one. I don't think anybody loves the ones that I do solo. Um, if there's a trade or something, then I'll probably do it. I have to do a solo podcast, but yeah, I won't they'll have trade. They'll I won't trade have a recording mechanism. Yeah, so yeah, uh, maybe I'll have to uh, do the pinch hit and like have Eric have Eric uh, call you and record a podcast without me that week. Maybe that, maybe that's what we'll do. 
Maybe but, we'll get like Carlos on for old times. Who is Carlos? I don't know who that is. He's a TV star <laughs> he's, now. He's forgotten. He's forgotten. Yeah, about he's us. he's too big now for the for the cast. But yeah. By the way, we didn't do anything on the draft on this podcast. I'm not sure if you have any flaming takes. We did we did a, a midweek podcast <laughs> uh, three four days ago because I wanted to at least record something, and I had Eric and Matt Powers on. Those guys did a great job. So if you guys missed that podcast, go back and listen to it. Um, yeah. I don't have any draft takes, but I should have asked you if you had any. I don't think you necessarily have scalding draft takes, but maybe you maybe, maybe no. surprised me. People who know far more about it than me th- said the Braves did a good job, Same. so <laughs> I'll take it. I saw the Stanford kid actually pitch like four weeks ago against Arizona um, when they were out here, and he threw like seven shutout innings, so he's he's going to be an ace in my book. Uh, yeah, you're here first. Scott Coleman for projects ace. <laughs> uh, but anyway, all right, man. Well, uh, please follow Scott on Twitter. I believe it's at Scott Coleman fifty five. That's right. Uh, I've got, I'm getting pretty good at this. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, sir, for joining me as always. Of course, man. Uh, everybody else, we'll be back again next week. Uh, unless something crazy happens between now and then, it'll be another Sunday night recording time. We'll see you guys next.